Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. And I want to say it's a true honor tonight to have Pastor Jonathan Miller in the house with us tonight. Man, we are so excited. Scott, so great to have you again this year. Pastor Jonathan leads an amazing church in Orlando, Florida, and just doing an amazing job there. God is using him. He is a, a voice that goes well beyond his local church. God is using him all over the world. And so for him to take time uh, out of his busy schedule to come to West Virginia. Anybody thankful that he may, he's going to make a deposit in us tonight? So, so honored to have you. Well, come on, everybody. Clap your hands. Give Jesus some praise. Come on, y'all can do better than that. You're in church on a Tuesday night. Woo. Hey, was that your son that was playing the keys? He did so good. Can he come back for just a minute? Y'all stand up for just, just a second here. I'm so honored and so thankful to be back here with you. And um, last time I was here, I think it was last year, around this time, and I was so hoping uh, to receive an invitation back. There's some places you go, and you're glad you go and leave. And Come on. <laughs> but there are some places you just want to come back to. And uh, I just feel so at home here, and I'm so honored that Pastor would trust me to come back and minister to you. I'm just honored to be here. So thank you for receiving me and inviting me. And I want to also tell you, before we pray, before we move on any further, my heart's really overwhelmed. Um, I want to say thank you to both of you and to your church for a very significant seed that you sowed into our relief efforts in Orlando. We got slammed in Orlando uh, with Hurricane Ian. And it really wasn't so much the wind as it was the rain. Uh, at my house, we got almost two feet of rain in 48 hours. And so nearly 20 families in our church had their houses pretty much ruined by flooding. One lady, a single lady, lost everything, had about three or four inches of water in her house. And I want you to know that the seed that you sowed has gone towards helping us. We're not bringing people uh, Chex Mix and Cookie Crisp or whatever. We, we're dropping off beds, couches, sofas, air conditioning. Come on in Florida. That's a big deal. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart because you find out in adversity who your friends are. And... Uh, I honor your pastors because they are my friends. And thank you for coming alongside of us and putting a smile on so many people's faces. Go on our Instagram page tonight, go tomorrow. You'll see pictures. We've mentioned your church and everything that you're offering has gone towards. So would you give yourself a big hand because you are an amazing body of believers. So thankful. Everywhere I go, I have a weird voice, so it takes them a minute to set the microphone. It doesn't bother me, it might bother you, but I'm okay. I wanna say that your pastors, and you're gonna really shout here, cause it's gonna get loud tonight, I'm just warning you. It's, it's Tuesday night, you cannot have quiet church on a Tuesday night, you just can't do it. But I want to celebrate 
really who I believe are two of the greatest leaders, pastors, communicators, visionaries. Look around this place and you can see vision everywhere you look. And your pastors are just beyond incredible in the aspect of leadership and pastoring. But I'm gonna tell you what I love most about you too is that you're just really legit, down to earth, genuine, authentic, humble servants of God. They really love each other. This is not fake, I promise. They really love each other. They love their family. They love you, they love God. And I am so thankful that you can call them your pastors, that you can call them the spiritual authority and the lead of your life. Would you put your hands together for Pastor Chad and Pastor Karen? Come on guys, let them know. For real, legit, how much you love them. And we're gonna talk about honor in a little bit, but just keep your heart open to that tonight and be thankful that God has blessed you with some really, really great, genuine people to lead you. With your hands lifted, if you would, come on all across this room. Just take a moment with your hands lifted. Father, I come to you now in the name of your son, Jesus. That name that we have spoken about, that name that we have sung about, that name is our power. And so in your name, we come tonight. And I thank you that as I preach, your anointing would begin to break the yoke. Lord, every person in this room, those that are watching, even myself, I have giants that I'm facing. We have mountains that need to be moved. And Lord, we know tonight that just one word from you can change everything. So now with our hands lifted and our hearts open wide, we say, speak, Jesus. We've spoken your name. We've worshiped you. We've praised you. And now we are ready to hear you respond to our cry, to our praise. Speak tonight and let us not leave this place the same way that we came. In the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen and amen. Would you clap your hands and give Jesus the biggest shout you can give him. Woo! You may be seated. I love being at Revival. Thank you so much, young man. And if you get done with those shoes, you can just bless Pastor Jonathan with them when you're done. With them. Thank you, Jesus. Y'all are shoe church. I love it. Y'all dropped another pair on me tonight before I came. And these are the ones you blessed me with last year. And I didn't wear them last year so I could have an excuse to come back and wear them. So you have to have me back next year to wear the new pair, okay? This is the, just the way it's gonna work. Now, this is the first night of revival. Everybody say first night. You have a second night and you have a third night and Tony Suarez will be here. Tony Stewart will be here. But tonight, Jonathan, not Tony, Jonathan is in the house and I believe we're gonna get this party kicked off just right. So you have to tell Tony Stewart and Tony Suarez, y'all should have been here on night one. Come on, somebody. So let me just say this. I'm going to start tonight by reading quite a few verses of scripture. I don't like doing that, to be honest, especially when I go on the road. I don't want to lose engagement or lose your attention. But I know I'm in a word house tonight, and I know that you will track with me, and I need to set a foundation for what God is going to do. I believe this message will be prophetic for the body of Christ, but it's also going to be very prophetic for this house and every one of you that are attached to it. I'm gonna be reading several verses from 1 Samuel chapter four, and I'm using the amplified version. I'll skip around, and then there are a few verses I wanna to touch on in 1 Samuel chapter five as well. If you're ready for the word, shout, I'm ready. I'm going to look at 1 Samuel chapter four, starting in verse two, and I am using the amplified version as I like how it phrases this. 
It says the Philistines assembled in battle formation to meet Israel. And when the battle was over, Israel was defeated by the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men. I need you to remember that number, 4,000. That will be an important number, an important statistic here in a moment. When the people, the soldiers came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh so that he may come among us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Y'all are missing a great place to shout. It's gonna get good, it's gonna get good. Verse five, so what happened that as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, that all the people, not some of the people, not the young people, not the, all the people shouted. Let's try it, one, two, three, all the people shouted. That was a shout, but this says they shouted with a great shout. One, two, three, great shout. There you go, there you go. And the earth resounded. May your shout cause something to feel it. May your shout move something tonight. The Philistines heard the noise in verse six of the shout, and they said, what does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. Just by the reason of the shout, they knew the ark was in the house. Verse seven, the Philistines were afraid and they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe, disaster has come to us for nothing like this has happened before. Jump down to verse 10. Y'all doing okay? Shake your head. You doing okay? Verse 10 says the Philistines fought and Israel were defeated, every man to his tent. But this time it was a very great defeat for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell. Let me stop here for just a moment. This is the second time Israel is going against the Philistines. The first time they lost 4,000. Now they're doing it a second time with God, with the ark, pastor. They're doing it the right way. And not only do they lose, but they lose 30,000 men. That's a lot more men. The math is not making sense, but we're gonna work it out. Look at verse 11. And the ark of God was also taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas were killed. I wanna jump down to verse 15. Now Eli, who was 98 years old, his eyes were dim so that he could not see. The man said to Eli, I have come from the battle line. Indeed, I have escaped from the battle line today. Eli said, how did things go, my son? And the messenger replied and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there's been a great slaughter amongst the people. Your two sons, Hopni and Phinehas are dead and the ark of God has been taken. My last verse before I move on to 1 Samuel 5. Look at verse 18. When mention of the ark of God was made, it wasn't his sons, Hopni and Phinehas. When mention of the ark was made, Eli fell off of his seat, broke his neck and died. Do y'all have four more verses in you? Give me a bobblehead Christian. Come on, four more verses. I promise you we're going somewhere. Verse one of 1 Samuel chapter five. The Philistines after this battle take the ark of God and they put it and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod and they took the ark and put it in the house of Dagon and set it beside the image of Dagon, their chief idol. Verse three through five, this is where you're gonna start shouting with me. When the people of Ashdod got up early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face on the ground before the Lord. But they take Dagon and return him to his place. But when they got up early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen again on the ground. 
But this time when Dagon fell, everybody say this time. I know you had a breakthrough one time, but this time Dagon fell on his face and God cut his head off his hands and cut him right in half at his stump. You better clap your hands and thank God for the reading of his word. As I begin, I want to make a statement to you. And that statement is simply this. The enemy, it doesn't matter if the enemy disguises himself in the form of cancer, poverty, addiction, I need you to understand that the enemy knows when the ark is in the house. Oh, I'm gonna find someone that'll grab this with me. The enemy knows when the ark is in the house. You can have great kids ministry, which you do. You can have a beautiful stage and a beautiful building and a beautiful property, but the enemy is not intimidated, threatened by, neither obligated to respond to beautiful facilities. What the enemy responds to is the ark of God, the presence of God. And there's a lot of church trying to fake it till they make it, but there's no substitute for the anointing and the oil of the Holy Ghost. And I need you to know Bethesda tonight that the enemy, your adversary, everything coming against you knows when the ark is in the house. Many of you know back in the Old Testament, God chose to house his presence in a box called the ark of the covenant. This is how he chose to manifest and distribute his presence. Today, God has chosen to house his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is so powerful. And in case you didn't know it, the Holy Spirit lives in you. There is no ark. You are the ark. Don't you know? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's amazing to me as it was back then, so it is today. The enemy knows when the ark is in the house. The enemy knows when the ark is in the camp. Are y'all ready to have church with me? And one of the ways the enemy knows the ark is in the house, one of the ways the enemy knows the ark is in the camp is through the shout of God. I told you it's going to get loud in here. It's through the shout of God's people. If you understand this, you can then begin to get why the enemy for the last two and a half to three years has worked overtime to mask the church. And I'm not talking about a clothy mask. I'm talking about the spirit behind COVID that tried to take the shout and the praise out of the house and out of the temple. My Bible tells me, though, that the dead praise not the Lord, neither them that go down in silence. Pastor Rod Parsley coined the phrase that silence is the language of defeat. I now understand why the enemy opposes our praise and why he tries to silence our shout. I understand, Pastor, why he tried to silence the shout of blind Bartimaeus who cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. The crowd charged him to hold his peace, but he cried all the louder. Why? Because he understood that the shout announces to the enemy. It announces to blindness. It announces to cancer, infirmity, poverty, and lack that God is in the house. Oh, I feel it happening now. It's no wonder. And I'm amazed by this, that the Philistines did not need to get on Facebook to figure it out. They didn't need a tweet on Twitter. 
They didn't need a post on Instagram. They didn't need a whatever it is you call it on TikTok. I'm too old. I don't know what you call it. They knew by the reason of the shout that God had stepped into the circumstance and stepped into the situation. And I think we need to take 30 seconds tonight to let that cancer know that's knocked on your front door. You're not welcome here because God is already in the house. You need to tell sickness, infirmity, poverty, and lack. You're not welcome in this house because God is already in this. I think you ought to get up on your feet, plant your feet, square your shoulders, and make an announcement to the forces of hell and the powers of darkness. God is in this. Clap and shout for 30 seconds. God is in the house. Give a high five to three people and tell them God is in the house. Come on, tell them God is in the house. That was the introduction. Are we ready? What I find interesting is that in the beginning of the story, we find the Israelites fighting the Philistines. Track with the preacher tonight. The Philistines not only one, but in this first battle, they killed 4,000 Israelites. So the elders of Israel convene and they start strategizing, what could we do the next time to create a better and different result? One of the elders raises his hand. I don't know who it was, but he had to be a wise elder. He waves his hand and says, hey, over here, pick me, pick me. I got an idea. He said, let's try this what we just did the first time. Let's try it a second time. But this time, let's try it with God. Let's try it with the ark. Don't miss this. Because the very fact that he was able to suggest that on the second time they used the ark was an acknowledgement that on the first time they were arrogant enough to think they could win without it. Are y'all in this building? And this speaks of a faction of leadership in the modern day church that think they can do this thing called kingdom without an ark. Preaching better than you're shouting. You say, well, what do you mean without an ark? They think they can do this thing called kingdom without preaching the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help them God. Watch me. They think they can do it without preaching the blessing and the curse. Read your Bible. There's a blessing and the curse. And how are people supposed to rejoice over what they've been redeemed from if we're too afraid to tell them what they've been redeemed from? They think they can do this thing called church without preaching love, mercy, and grace coupled with righteousness and holiness. They think they can do it without preaching the death, the burial, the resurrection, the baptism of his death. Watch this. They think they can do it without preaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. Why do they think they can get away with doing this thing called church without oil, without fire, without presence, without spirit? I'll tell you why. Because they're cool enough. You don't want to help me. Because ministries don't 
measure their influence any longer by anointing. We measure it by followers in half of which we paid for. Y'all don't want to help me. As long as there's enough money in the bank and enough followers on Instagram, we don't have to worry about oil. But I have prophesied and I have seen a paradigm shift. And just as Israel found out, these men and women of God are about to find out you can only go so far and do so much without oil. You can start good, baby, but if you want to finish strong, you're going to need a little Holy Ghost all up in you and all up on you. Let me give you a glimpse. Last time I was here, I was talking to your pastor about this. That right before COVID, and I'm talking about like two months before the shutdown, I heard from the highest level of leadership, one of the most well-known church global organizations. If I mentioned the name, you'd know, but I won't do that. They had come together in Orlando to strategize the next 10 years of their global initiative in their churches. And they decided, even though in their roots, their foundations, they're charismatic and spirit-filled, they have strayed so far away from it, you wouldn't know that's what they believed. So they got together, pastor, and they decided that they were going to subtly begin to relaunch and rebrand themselves. And watch this, this is not my words, it's their words. Make the Holy Spirit popular again. It's not a good thing because they were not making this decision based on conviction. They were making this decision based on a marketing analysis. They hired analysts that looked at the trends of church history and they've predicted that there is a paradigm shift, that the pendulum, I didn't need their help to figure that out, that there's a pendulum coming back this way where the spirit is going to be popular and relevant again. I just wanted to say this to them, and if they were here, I'd tell them, hey, duh, I knew that already. Why do you think I've been preaching him for 25 years without fail, without compromise? Why do you think this man of God has been preaching him all these years without fail, without, because we know no, the Holy Ghost will always be relevant. Power will always be popular. Healing will always be in style. So in some cases it's good. In some cases it's not because they're not doing it out of a right heart or a repentant heart. And for those that aren't doing it out of a right heart, it's not going to work for them because it didn't work for Israel. Y'all stay with me. Part of this story that was hard for me to understand is if Israel goes up against the Philistines without God, without the ark, they do it the wrong way, they lose. I get that. But to do it a second time with God, with the ark, they do it the right way. And not only do they lose, but they lose 30,000 men. I'm not a mathematician, so hold on. Divided by three, carry the four times pi squared. That's 26,000 more men. They lost more men with God doing it the right way than they did without God doing it the right way. Why? God had to have had temporarily dropped the hedge of protection. 
It's the only way you can make sense out of it. If God was there and they lost, God would have had to temporarily drop the hedge. But why would God drop the hedge of protection with the people who were carrying his presence? I'm glad you asked because some of you are very smart and you overthink and you over-spiritualize and you've read this story and you know it better than I do and you're saying, well, pastor, it's obvious why God let them suffer a small defeat. He had to set them up for a greater victory, right? That's what we just read. Uh, the only way to get the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon and that's where Dagon fell. God cut his head off, his hands off. Hey, the only way to get the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon, Pastor God just had to let them suffer a small defeat to set them up for a greater victory. That's the over-spiritualizing version. Can I tell you what I believe happened? I believe God dropped his hedge of protection temporarily because he was more concerned with killing Eli than he was in killing Dagon. If you read the Bible and the story that we just read, you will see that before God broke Dagon's neck, he first had to break Eli's neck. And Eli pastor speaks of the corrupt leadership that have been assigned and anointed of God to be glory carriers and glory protectors. But like Eli have brought the church under such a dispensation of mercy and grace that anything is permissible and anything is allowed. He allowed his sons to sleep with women outside the temple and turn around and steal the sheep for the sacrifice. Eli represents a generation of leaders that have failed in leading, a generation of fathers that have failed in fathering and Hopni and Phineas represent the generation in which we deal with today that have never been rebuked. They've never been corrected. They've never been admonished. No one's ever put rules on them, regulations on them, consequences on preaching better than your shouting. So if we rebuke this generation, if we check this generation, what we do is we offend them. And that is one of the biggest problems in our society today, that we have exchanged the word conviction for the word offense. When I grew up, sinners came to the stage throwing their cigarettes down saying, you convicted me, but now they say, oh, you just offended me. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be validated. Everybody wants to be recognized and pet and stroked and loved. When will people come to church for one thing and one thing only? To encounter Jesus who will change them from the inside to the out. Am I in such a church? Get up on your feet and give God some praise. I mean to take 30 seconds and praise him. Be seated, be seated. Let's talk further about Hopni and Phineas. They represent a generation that can't be rebuked or corrected, but they also represent, Pastor, a generation that do not know how to honor. I'm gonna get into this one. I've watched peers of mine stand on stages built by giants in the faith, and they'll hail them and regard them as generals of a generation. And they'll spend the rest of the service talking to them and referring to them by their first name. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that. You know, 
I'll just, let me just drop this and I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Our neighbor right next to me in my house is one of the most successful eye doctors in Orlando. His name is Craig. Craig might even be watching this. He's a Jewish man and watches a lot of our services, loves them. About three months ago, my daughter had a problem with her vision. She had fallen and we thought that her vision was affected by a head injury. And I've often seen Craig, I call him Craiger because I'm cool. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he takes the trash and, what's up, Craiger? He's like, what's up, Miller? And we just talk, you know, wait. I called him at 11 o'clock at night. And when he answered the phone, do you know what I said to him? Hello, Dr. Fishman. And he knew right when I said that, that it wasn't Miller calling to talk to Craiger. I needed a doctor. And when you refer to this man and this woman of God as your pastor, you cause the leader in them to rise up. You cause the shepherd's ears to begin to tingle and you cause the anointing that's in them to rise up. And I want to tell you why honor is so important. You will only get out of someone in direct proportion to the measure of honor that you bestow. I did not need that night for my neighbor to take out my garbage. I needed him to tell me that my nine-year-old baby girl was going to be okay. You don't need them to be your friends. You need them to be your prophets. And you need them to be the priests of your house and the priests of your life, the voice of God over your life. Could you take 30 seconds and let the man and woman of God know that you honor them because you only get out of them in direct proportion to the measure of honor that you bestow. So as it was back then, so it is today. God's not as interested in killing Dagon as he is in killing Eli. And for the most part, churches have gone after the wrong thing, or at least maybe they've gone after the right thing, but at the wrong time. Because churches are busy going after social, cultural, moral, ethical issues. And the cry of God's heart is, I have to kill Eli before I release you to kill Dagon. Judgment still begins in the house of the Lord. And there is a prophetic cry from the heart of God from the throne of heaven that is crying across America like never before to men and women of God. Get your pulpits cleaned up. Get your platforms cleaned up. Get the compromise out of your worship team. Get the compromise out of your connect groups because I want to visit America and I want to visit my church, but I'm not coming back for a church that is not holy and pure without spot or without wrinkle. God's saying it's time to start preaching like we used to preach. Lay hands on people like you used to. Lay them out on the floor. Watch them pray in tongues. Watch them get out of wheelchairs. It's time to bring it back, baby. It's time to do what we've been called to do. It is my fear that the church as a whole is the only global brand and the only global organization that's changing our language, our wording, and our definitions in attempt to be relevant and appealing. That deserved an amen. Let me show you something. You see this right here? This is an iPhone. If you don't have one, we pray that you would receive Jesus as your savior. Give your life to the Lord. All my iPhone people have revival with me. Come on. You Android people come in the room. I love you. Come on. Don't be mad at me. Don't be mad at me. 
I've been an iPhone guy since about day one. And not long after getting my very first iPhone, this is how long I've had it, Apple started using terminology before they released technology. iMessaging is coming. I didn't even know what that was. But I sure enough wanted one. Come on, somebody. I, I thought it was an accessory. I told my wife, if my iMessage comes in this weekend, I'll wear it to church. I didn't know what it was. But check this out. Fortune 500 companies get something the church is missing. They understand that when they use words that the consumer does not understand, it actually builds this thing called mystique and intrigue. And my question to the church in America is since when have we lost our mystery? If people don't walk out of here on Sunday going, what was that? I question, what are you doing? On the day of Pentecost, there had to be an explanation. This is that. Don't freak people out. Don't get weird. Don't get flaky. Don't start barking like dogs. But understand, for goodness sake, that you are to be a sign and a wonder. And if you don't have to explain what God is doing, then God may not be doing anything. Since when has the church in America, because I've been all over the world, it ain't over there, it's here. Since when have we become afraid to use words like fire, rain, glory, presence, tongues? Can I use a few more words in church? Fall out, fall down, run around, jump around, spin around, shout. Since when have we been afraid? I'm closing. It'll be a long close, but I'm closing. About nine months ago, I was on a leadership summit. It was a global summit online. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, okay? We're going to break something open here. The person doing the leadership summit was one of these guys that are just a lot cooler than me. Can I just be honest? He was a lot cooler than me. He starts off the thing. And he's like, hey, pastors, yo, word, man. I'm like, this cat is cool. And he's like, hey, yo, word, pastors. Got to be careful, guys, using churchinese, churchy language, you know, things that only people in church understand. He's like, yo, word, man, if we do look, yo, word, man, yo. <laughs> he said, if we do, we're going to confuse people when they come into our churches. And he said, we don't want to confuse people. We don't want to speak over their heads. And I understand the context of what he's saying. Because we don't want to not explain things. We don't want to leave people in the dark. But for him to insinuate that somehow someone would be offended if they came to church and heard church in ease is as foolish as me saying I'd be offended if I went to Italy and heard them speaking Italian. Hello, somebody. That's kind of the reason I like to go. I'm 50% Sicilian. People ask me all the time, are you Hispanic? Are you Israeli? Are you Arab? I've been called all kinds of things. I'm 50% Sicilian, enough to darken my skin a little bit. Come on, somebody. 
My wife, though, she's legit. OG, 100%. I call her 110% Sicilian. Her whole family lives over there. And let me tell you something. If we want Italian food, Italian people, and Italian culture, there ain't no place to get it like getting it over there. So I do understand that we don't want to overwhelm people. We don't want to speak over their heads. But when will we begin to realize that the people that are coming through our doors are coming through our doors for a reason? They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're tired of all the other stuff. They're seeking for something powerful. And may they not walk through these doors and say, well, that was ordinary. They need to say that was extraordinary. That was supernatural. We need to show them a sign and a wonder. Come on, Bethesda. Are you with me? So he, he gives this example to support what he's saying. I'm closing and then I'm going to speak a prophetic word over you. He ends this, this Zoom call by saying, we have to be careful saying things that will terrify first-time guests in our church. He said, be careful saying things like, the fire of God is here. That's what he said. And I, before the Lord Chad, Pastor Chad, he said, and here's why. If someone comes to church, yo, for their first time, word, and they hear fire, yo, word's gonna fall. He's like, they're gonna get a visual image of what happened to Michael Jackson in the 80s when his hair caught on fire. That's what he said. And he looked into the camera and he's like, yo, word, man, who wants that? And I looked into the camera and go, yo, word man, I do. If it burns drugs out of somebody's body, I do. If it burns pain out of their body, I do. If it burns sickness, infirmity, poverty and lack, bondage and addiction, generational curse, I'll take all the fire that I can get. You ought to take 30 seconds and just let heaven know you want the fire. I mean, let him know. You paid too much of a price for you not to have oil and fire falling on your life. Let heaven know how bad you want. I cannot move on to close this until heaven knows, Bethesda, how hungry and ready and thankful you are for the fire of heaven. So as I close, let me talk to you about the fire of heaven. Are you hungry for it? Are you thankful you have it? But are you ready for some more? Let me just read these five verses to you out of the book of Zechariah. And this is my real hard close, I promise. We're landing the plane. Zechariah, don't y'all laughing at me like you go to my church. Zechariah chapter two, verse one, and I'm using New King James in this. Zechariah is having a vision. And in verse one, it says, I raised my eyes and looked. God, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. And behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. I came up to him and I said, where are you going? And he said to me, watch this. I'm going to measure Jerusalem to see what is the width of it and what is the length of it. And in verse three, it says, there was an angel who talked with me going out and another angel who was coming to meet him who said to him, run, and speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem will be inhabited 
as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her and I will be a glory within her. You can put some strings behind me just so they think I'm closing. I want them to think I'm closing. I want to release this prophetically. When we see the word wall mentioned in scripture, it's usually in reference to defense or protection. And God is saying here, I will be a wall of fire around my people and I'll be a glory within her. Let me tell you something and you'll see it happen even more clearly in 23. If you don't have the fire, do not expect protection. These pastors, these churches, these Christians that are fireless, they cannot expect the same kind of protection because the fire is the wall of protection. So if you have a fire without and a glory within, God, I feel his presence in here. Then your family, your finances, your marriage, your health, your past, your present, your future will be protected. If you don't have the fire, don't expect protection. Now you may say, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with this house? I think we need to take 30 seconds and reflect praise and thanks to God that you are actually in a house that has fire. I've been all over the place. Not every place has what you have in here. I mean, take 30 seconds and focus your praise and your thanksgiving on the fact that you're in a house that has the fire. Yeah, now we're getting it. Now we're getting it. You're going to praise him better because when I tell you this, you're in a house of fire. That means there's some things that have been spoken against you. There are some things that are supposed to come against you that will not touch you. Why? Because there's a fire without and there's a glory within. There's some things that have been spoken against your pastors. If you think the enemy's happy with them and what they're doing, and I even can tell you, I don't know who they are, but I know they have them. There's some haters and some jealous folk out there say whatever they want to say. But let me tell you something. Nothing they've said or will say ever has or ever will touch them. You want to know why? Because there's a fire without and there's a glory. You all better get up on your feet. I feel something shifting. So let them say what they want to say. There's a hedge of protection around this building. There's a hedge of protection around your life. There's a hedge of protection around your leadership. And I want to declare the word of God over you. What God has blessed, no man can curse. There's a fire without and a glory within. You better thank God you're in a house that has fire. But I need you to understand what's in the fire and what comes with it. And it's revealed to us, Pastor, in the first part of this chapter. Zechariah is having a vision. In the vision, he sees a man walking around with a tape measure, a measuring tape. Zechariah comes up to him and says, where are you going? 
what are you going to go do? He says, well, I'm, I'm going to go measure Jerusalem. I'm going to go see how wide it is, how long it is. And while he's saying this, an angel ran. Everybody say he ran. He ran up to him and he said, hey, buddy, you got to put the measuring tape away. Don't go measure Jerusalem. Because what God's going to do with it is too big to be measured. It is too big to be quantified. The prophetic implication is this. Whenever you begin to measure, because a measurement in and of itself is a limitation. A measurement says it starts here, it finishes here, it begins here, it ends here. So whenever you begin to measure what God can do, you immediately begin to reduce what God can do. Woo. Whenever you try to rationalize it and figure it out, you automatically bind him and limit a limitless God. Now, if I asked you how I got here to White Sulphur Springs from Orlando, Florida, most of you, an educated guess would be that I took a flight, I took an airplane. Now, it wouldn't be educated guess if you said I took a direct flight because they don't have very many of those to White Sulphur Springs. But it's a good hypothesis that if I got here today, I came on an airplane. But believe it or not, I don't, I don't know if you'll believe me, but the truth of the matter is, I didn't actually come on an airplane. I know it's a little confusing to you. You're wondering, well, if you didn't come on a plane, what'd you do, take a boat, take a train? No, I didn't come by air. I didn't come by sea. I didn't come on a train. I came by the Spirit of the Lord. And I came here just as that angel showed up on the scene. I didn't take a plane. I didn't take a train. I didn't take an automobile. Can I tell you how I got here, Bethesda? I ran. In the Spirit of God, I ran just like this angel ran. And under that same anointing he spoke, I speak to you and tell you, don't you ever try to measure what God can do. Don't you ever try to limit what God can do because there is no measure to it and there is no limit to it. You better throw your hands up, open your mouth because I came under a prophetic anointing tonight to tell you, put your measuring tape away and take the limits You're 90 seconds away from giving God a praise and a worship that will be limitless. But I'm challenging you and I'm charging you. Over these next few minutes as we praise, look at me in my eyes. Put the measuring tape away. Take the limits off. Some of you have tried to look at what God's doing around here and said, it's gonna be this. The minute you do that, you begin to reduce what he wants to do. When these pastors preach and they stretch you in your capacity, put the measuring tape away and take the limits off. When they give you the next for the church and the vision is too big for you to comprehend, just say, well, I don't get it, but I'm gonna put the measuring tape away and I'm gonna take the limits. Y'all better talk back to me tonight. When you come in here tomorrow night for revival, 
and you come in Thursday night for revival, you better leave your tape measure in the car. You better leave your limited mentality and small-minded thinking in the car. Put your measuring tape away and take the limits. If you think you've seen God heal the sick in this building, you better put your measuring tape away and you better take the limits off. If you think God has blessed this house financially, you better put your measuring tape away and take the limits. Next time you have an opportunity to sow a seed, to give an offering, y'all better shout and smile with me. Don't, Don't go nowhere. You better put the measuring tape away. You better take the limits off because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. The old saints used to say, you can't outgive God. So next time you give an offering, put the measuring tape away and take the limit. Next time you have an opportunity to worship in an altar, take the limits off. Next time you have an opportunity to clap, Clap until your hands turn red. Take the limits off. You ever seen back in the day, the Bob Barker days of Price is Right? I don't watch Drew Carey. Bob was the OG. You see those people, come on down. They like to have seizures. All over the possibility of winning something they can't afford the tax on. Y'all don't want to help this preacher. When we hear in a service a word that says, come on down. These altars are open. This is what we do. We need some prices, right, Christians? Now, when pastor says, I'm just going to open these altars for you. You better run down here. Push Ethel out of the way and get down here. Next time you have an opportunity to shout a shout, you better do it without a measuring tape and without limits. I'm 42 years old, that's young. Everybody say amen, thank you. I've been preaching for 25 years, full time, 25 years I've been preaching. And I told my wife, we just, we've been on a tour. We did Europe four times in two months. That's a tour, that's an official tour. And I told her when I got done with that tour, that I was preaching louder on my last sermon than I did my first sermon, which was louder than the first one I preached at 17 because I'm not about to back down. I'm not about to back off. I'm not about to dial it back at all. My praise is going to be louder than it's ever been before. My shout louder than it's ever been before. I'm taking the limits. Now, I don't know what y'all want to do, but I want something that's going to put some fire up in this room. When I count to three, I don't care what you do. You can shout right there. You can dance. You can come down front. You can kneel. But I'm going to release you to give God praise and to give God worship with your measuring tape put away and with the limits off. I prophesy over you what God is going to do over the next two days will absolutely blow your mind if you just take the limits 
off. If you think he blessed your family, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you think he elevated your business, you ain't seen nothing yet. I came under a prophetic anointing tonight to tell you Bethesda, put the measuring tape away and take the limits off. You're in a house of fire where impossible doesn't exist. Miracles are not possible. They are probable. What God cannot do does not exist in this house. Put your measuring tape away and take the limits off. Are y'all ready? One, two, three, praise him without limits. Worship without limits. Come down front without limits. Run the aisles without limits. Take the limits off. Jump like you've never jumped. Spin like you've never spun. Woo! I feel like David and the anointing on his life is coming upon yours. That whatever that voice is that just said, oh, you looked ridiculous. You can just say, oh, get ready for what I'm about to do next. For anyone that's worried about the friends you brought to church, they're gonna think I'm crazy. If they're your friend, they already know you're crazy. The secret's already out. Don't worry about it. I feel like we need to just check ourselves tonight and every voice that's speaking. And we need to just say, God, get ready for this. I'm about to be even more undignified. I'm gonna shout like I've never shouted. I'm gonna worship like I've never worshiped. Are you ready? One, two, three, come on and give him praise without limits. Come on, take the measuring tape off. Take the measuring tape off. Come on, don't go away, don't go away. Get loud, get loud. Worship him. Take the limits off your faith. Take the limits off your vision. Ooh. Oh God, give him glory, give him glory. I feel something shifting, I feel something breaking. Give him glory, give him honor. I feel God in here. You better give him praise. The enemy knows when the ark is in the house. And I'm going to instruct you to begin to give God the kind of shout and praise that Israel gave in our text in 1 Samuel 4. It said the earth felt it. May cancer feel it. May depression and suicidal thoughts feel it. May anxiety and depression feel it. May generational curses and family iniquities feel it. Poverty and lack, may it feel it. Oh, I feel God in here. When you shout, you are announcing to the enemy that the game has just shifted. That momentum has just shifted. That everything that's been against you, God has flipped it to turn it for your good. You are making an announcement to this region that as long as God's in the house, meth can't have somebody else's house. Crack can't have somebody else's house. Yeah, you better give him praise. I feel something happening in here. I count to three, we're gonna shout. 
and then we're gonna turn our shout into worship. But I want us to make an announcement tonight. So you gotta understand something. Sound never leaves. It just keeps traveling and it keeps going. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And I'm telling you that, I'm telling you this by the spirit, that the shout that you give up here in the next moment, there are grandchildren you don't even have yet. The 33 years from this night will make a decision to not end their life and not know it's because the shout you shouted 33 years ago made them put the gun down. I want you to shout so loud that your past hears it, your present hears it, and your future hears it. I want to make an announcement that we've taken the limits off, we have taken the measurements off, and we believe that what God cannot do does not exist. When I count to three, I need you to shake heaven and shake hell. One, two, three, shout. for your past, but I need you to throw a shout and a praise into your future. Come on, push one more time. I'm telling you something shifting. One, two, three, shout again. That's for your future. That's for your grandbabies. lift up those hands. Reach like you've never reached before. I'm worshiping like I don't have limits. I'm worshiping like I don't have a lid. I'm worshiping like I don't have a ceiling. We won't be but five to seven minutes, but God is reaching down and doing something amazing in this place. When Pastor Tony Stewart preaches, when Pastor Tony Suarez preaches, you better scream louder than they're preaching. You better shout louder than they're preaching. And if they don't understand why, don't worry about it. Just let them know I'm shouting your word into my camp. I'm shouting that prophecy into my children. Lift those hands, come on all over this room. Let's worship him without limits. Come on, let's take the limits off, put the measuring tape away. Stretch, reach, shout, worship without the measuring tape, come on. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.